Everyone, please take a seat. Just want to add my welcome to John's. Uh, if we haven't met before, I'm Dan. I'm one of the ministry trainees. But great if you've got a Bible with you to open it to Exodus 20 on the church Bibles. When you come in, that's uh, page 61. Exodus 20. I'm just going to read the first two verses and then I'll read verse 15. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And verse 15, you shall not steal. Now, I I read a news story recently from about 2006. It was about a Dutch composer who was commissioned to write some music for an advert at a local film festival. He wrote the music and he gave it to the company that requested it but with a condition that it only be used in that one instance at that film festival for that one advert. The company agreed to the terms, the contract was signed, it was all ready. The, ne- the next year, however, he started playing a Harry Potter DVD. And back when DVDs would show you all adverts on them, he came across an advert for the same company, but they used his music without his permission. The company had pirated his music. They downloaded it, used it without permission, outside of the bounds of the contract, so that they could profit more without giving him his due pay. And what was the advert about? I hear you ask. It was an anti-theft ad. Theft seems to be in the heart of every person, doesn't it? In this case, we see it's even in the hearts of the people who are campaigning against it. It's no wonder then that you shall not steal occupies its rightful spot in the Ten Commandments. Now, for these past few weeks, we've been looking at how the commandments reveal God's character. They expose the sin in our hearts. They point forward to Jesus and the new creation, and they guide our actions in our daily lives and how we please God. The first thing I'd like to talk about tonight is how The commandment not to steal reveals God's generous character. It reveals a generous God. This law against stealing is given against a backdrop of God's provision for Israel. In earlier chapters of Exodus, he gives them freedom from slavery in Egypt. He gives them a leader in Moses. When they grumbled for food, he gave them bread from heaven. When they grumbled from water, he gave them, oh, sorry, when they grumbled for water, he gave them water from a rock. All of these were miraculous provisions and they showed the Israelites that even though they're in the wilderness with nothing around them, they'd still had what they need because God would give it to them. It's true to say that God is abundantly generous. One of the ways that we can see this with our own eyes is by looking at the world around us. We think a bit about how much life the earth supports. There's about 8 billion people, for one. According to some biologists, there's about 20 quadrillion ants alive any one time. That is the insects, not the family member. That's about two, two million ants per person. Apologies if that makes your skin crawl. Apparently in total, there's about 20 billion billion animals alive, and that's just the animals, not even started on the plants. It shows at least that God has made the world abundant enough to support a huge amount of life. And it's not scarce. 
but going from the, the cosmic level to the personal level, in our own lives, everything that we have is a gift from God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything we have and everything we are is a good gift from God. But by far the greatest gift that God has given us is his son. Through him we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, Paul says in Ephesians. We have forgiveness of sins. We have adoption as God's children. We have an inheritance in a new creation with no pain or suffering or evil. And we don't only receive God's benefits through Jesus, but we receive God himself. We receive a personal and corporate relationship with God our maker through Jesus Christ. I think it's helpful to remember in any circumstances that we're in, that God has been generous and he has shown his love for us. Perhaps it can be a fruitful exercise sometimes to write out a list of the good things in life and give it a heading, God has given these to me. Or perhaps write out a list of the things that afflict us now but will not be present in the new creation. No pain, no death, no chronic illness, no boredom, no relational strife. The lack of those is a gift to come in the new creation from God. Salvation from sins and entry into the new creation is something we can always reflect on to remember how abundantly generous God has been to us. And it's important for us to remind ourselves of those things because of what this commandment shows us about our hearts. It exposes that our hearts want to steal, they want to take. Now, there was a poll done in the U.S. a number of years ago, and it found that about 86% of adults were happy to claim that they'd completely satisfied the requirements of this commandment of do not steal. I'm sure many of us can sympathize. Many of us will not have shoplifted or the likes, but we've seen in this series that the commandments reach the heart. We saw a couple of weeks ago that it's not simply the killer who's guilty of murder, is it? As 1 John says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. I want to point out here that there are ways of stealing that might be closer to home. And there are conditions of the heart that lead to it. Let's think, let's start with coveting. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul is talking here within the context of false teachers who are preaching the wrong gospel for material gain. But it rings true in so many other circumstances, doesn't it? I'm sure we can all think of examples of things in the world where people do evil out of greed and a love for money. It's right for us to be angry at those things. It's right for us to be angry at things like criminal industries built on exploitation who are pleased to bring immense suffering on people for the sake of filling their pockets. Corrupt governments who twist justice for a price. It's greed in big corporate industries where sometimes it pays to be irresponsible as long as no one catches you. 
Those are all ways to steal. It's right to be troubled by those things. They might be extreme examples, but coveting and theft are not things that are only out there. The desire to steal arises from within. From our own hearts comes coveting, greed, and theft. I think there's plenty ways in which our coveting and greed lead us to steal. And often there are ways in which we give ourselves a break, thinking it's, it's not really stealing. Maybe we want to watch a TV show, but we don't have the streaming platform. So we find a dodgy website and watch it illegally. Maybe it's small and victimless, but it's stealing. Perhaps we find loopholes in the system to avoid paying tax. Maybe on a business trips, on a business trip, sorry, we claim a little more on expenses than we know we should. If you're an employer and you rip your employees off by underpaying them or being late with wages, that's robbery. On the other hand, if you're an employee and you're lazy and trying to get away with doing nothing at work, or maybe, maybe you take a sick day because it's, you just want a holiday rather than actually being unwell, that's robbery. Stealing doesn't only extend to the material. We can steal from people in plenty of ways. If we're talking about a group piece of work, how often might we exaggerate how much we contributed? That's stealing recognition from others. I think gossiping is a great example of stealing. Gossiping takes from someone else's reputation to bolster your own. Someone else looks a little worse. And as a result, you look a little better. The Puritan Thomas Watson, I find this convicting, goes so far as to say that we can steal time from people. Let's say we're 20 minutes late for a meeting because we stayed too long in bed or just because we're a late person. That's 20 minutes stolen from that person, Thomas Watson says. I'm not saying those things so that we can pick each other up unnecessarily, but it goes to show that there are ways of stealing that are closer to home for us. We can also steal out of unbelief. The Bible doesn't only talk about stealing from people, it also talks about stealing from God. In the book of Malachi, God rebuked the Israelites because they were robbing him. They weren't giving him the full tithe, the full amount of their profits that they were meant to give to God by law. And the sacrifices they gave weren't the first and the best of the flock, as required by law. They were the worst of the animals. They were what's left. And the Lord said that they robbed him by not giving him the right worship due to him. And why did they do this? Well, they said in Malachi 3.14, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge? They didn't trust God to provide what they needed. And they thought it was vain, pointless to serve him. And therefore, they were not generous in their giving to him. Now, I don't want to draw a direct line between uh, Malachi's Israel and us as a church family. The Israelites in those days could be well described as apostates, as having turned away from God completely and only going through the motions of their religion. And having been here seven years, I think I can safely say that we're not that. But it's helpful for us to think about where we might see traces of this feeling in our own hearts, the feeling that is vain to serve God. 
Do we want to give God the best of our time, the best of our energy, resources, or finances? Or do we give him what's left after we've had our turn? If we're budgeting and our income changes, are we quicker to give up giving to God rather than our Netflix subscription? Or if we've got a lot to do and we need to make time to do it all, do we start by dropping church activities, dropping life groups, dropping prayer meetings? Perhaps for some of us, we might just prioritize convenience. I'll do church things when it's convenient for me. I'll make an effort to get to know and love the people in church when it's convenient. When we don't prioritize God or seek to give him our best, perhaps it's because a little bit of us deep down doesn't think it's quite worth it. But God's message to the people in Malachi is that they'll never be at a loss for prioritizing him. And while they're not prioritizing him, they're robbing him. There's a sense in which if we have anything that's been given to us by God and we use it to glorify ourselves rather than God, then we're robbing him. Sorry. And I want to be clear that I'm not speaking as someone innocent of those things either, but it does show us that we might not satisfy this commandment as much as we think. Because of that, however, we can be thankful that you shall not steal points us towards our self-giving savior. Jesus never broke the law. In fact, he perfectly fulfilled the law not to steal because he gave himself for his people. I think generosity is in some way marked by the value of what you're willing to give, isn't it? It'd be more generous of me to give John a hamper for Christmas rather than a Freddo. That's not a promise. And it'd be even more generous of me to give a car for free. Jesus gave freely the most valuable thing possible, didn't he? He gave his own life. Um, What could be more valuable than Jesus's life? Sorry again, coughing up. (laughs) Jesus says the devil has no claim on him. There's no fallenness in Jesus. There's no corruption. Jesus has eternal life within himself. We're given eternal life when we believe in him, but Jesus owns it himself. No one gave it to him. He already had it. Jesus says that no one can take his life from him, but that he has the authority to lay it down and take it up again. And Jesus laid down that precious, uncorrupted life for his people. Jesus freely gave himself for the sake of his people. He gave his life as a ransom for many. But it's also true to say that he continues to give himself to his people all the time. Out of his grace, Jesus died for us to save us. But also in his grace, he continues to train us to live godly lives. If Christ wasn't continually shaping us and sustaining us and dwelling within us through his Holy Spirit, we'd all fall away. Jesus is ever present with us. He doesn't take breaks from us. He continues to work within us through his Holy Spirit. And through, sorry. Um, in that way, he's continually giving himself to us. Jesus also shows his generosity to us by sharing his heavenly reward with us, his people. When we receive eternal life, 
and joy in the new creation. It's not because we earned it. It's because Jesus earned it and he shares it to us, with us. At the end of Revelation 3, for example, Jesus says, the one who conquers, that is, believes and repents, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father in his throne. Jesus earns his reward, his place on his father's throne through his own righteousness, but then he graciously shares it with his people. Thank you very much. Um, now, in 1 Corinthians 6.10, Paul tells us that thieves will never inherit the kingdom of God. But because of Jesus, he's able to say the next verse. He says, such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus washes away the guilt incurred by our stealing. And he changes us so that we'd no longer be thieves. But what will, we be, what will we be like instead? That's my final point. Do not steal teachers, faithful stewardship. Now, I've chosen the, the term faithful stewardship to summarize this teaching tonight because everything we are and everything we have is a gift from God. Therefore, it's better to think of ourselves as stewards of our lives rather than owners. If our lives are houses, it's rented accommodation, isn't it? We're tenants. God owns it, not ourselves. So instead of stealing, we steward what we have and use it according to how God instructs us. That's faithful stewardship. Two big applications of what it means to be a faithful steward of what God has given us. Therefore, our, gen our generosity and honesty. Now, Samuel next week will be telling us lots about honesty in our speech when he expounds, you shall not bear false witness. But when I say honesty here, I'm thinking more of Ephesians 4, 28. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Sorry. Instead of stealing, we're instructed to do honest work. That certainly rules out any line of work that's illegal or any line of work that's obviously sinful. It rules out scamming people. And it rules out exploiting people. But also, it also rules out certain attitudes to work. There's one extreme attitude of work that says there's always someone else will take care and provide. But Paul says that the thief do honest work with his own hands. It's right for us to work hard and to use our God-given resources to earn honest wages. It's important for us not to devalue work. <coughs> Let's come through. Um, but it also rules out that cutthroat attitude, doesn't it? The, the attitude that I'll get to the top by any means necessary, I'll get to the top, and it doesn't matter who I'd hurt or trample to get there. As people saved by Jesus, our whole lives, including our work lives, are an offering to him. The Bible says to work as if you're working for God and to glorify him through your work. 
can we really be glorifying God in our work if we're being sneaky, trampling on people to get to the top or, or bullying people? Doing honest work means doing things above board. Doing things honestly is a way of expressing trust in God and not leaning on our own understanding and our own cunning and wit. It's helpful too to see this extending beyond the workplace. We glorify God and we please him when we're faithful in our commitments. We glorify him and please him when we make good on our contracts and agreements and do things legitimately. It's a gift in itself from God that we can please him. We glorify and please him when we bear responsibility faithfully. And he's also pleased by generosity. It's noticeable in Ephesians 4.28 that Paul doesn't stop at let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor. He goes further to say, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul instructs us to do the opposite of thieving. He instructs us to be generous and to give and to provide for anyone in need. In that passage, he's particularly got the church in mind there, people in need in the church, but certainly it overflows into the wider world too. Being transformed by Jesus results in us not only doing honest work, but giving generously of the fruits of it. Now there's a, there's a cartoon character called Scrooge McDuck. And he's a very, very rich duck. And he's often pictured popping into his money vaults and diving into a sea of gold coins. Now, there's a place for enjoying God's good gifts. But God is very pleased when we use our gifts or give them for the sake of others. Being a cheerful giver is a way of showing and exercising trust in God, isn't it? One writer said, every time I give... I declare that money does not control me. So cheerfully, generously giving to others is a way of saying, God has freed me from the coveting and anxiety and unbelief that would cause me to steal. And instead, I'm happy to give away. In ways we can be generous might be in our finances or giving our time and energy to serve in various ways. It might look like hosting people when it's not amazingly convenient. It could also extend to the way we treat people. We can be generous of spirit, happy to be kind to people, even when we don't expect or receive kindness back. It could be being happy to forgive people rather than keeping a scrupulous record of wrongs. I think for any of us tonight, it's probably a combination of those things. And it's not to say that God commands us not to be sensible with our resources or to act as doormats that people trample on all the time. But it's certainly a change in orientation, isn't it? Is giving, is thinking about how we can give rather than how we can take and enrich ourselves. To finish, let's remember that our God is generous. All good things in life are a gift from God. And most of all, he gives us Jesus, who gave himself for us to wash us from our sins. He gives, he gives himself to us through his Holy Spirit to transform us. He changes us from being unbelieving thieves to honest workers and generous givers. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for all your good gifts to us. 
I pray that you'd help us to see your generosity in every circumstance. We thank you most of all for Christ. We pray that he would be our most loved and enjoyed treasure. We thank you for washing us clean of sin and help us to practice your instructions by being honest and generous people. Help us to know that we are not at a loss for serving you, but that godliness with contentment is a great gain. In Jesus' name, amen.